wonderful friends. Welcome to Faith FM Drive Time. Welcome to Big Q&A. This is the show where we respond to difficult questions concerning God and faith, contemporary religion and the Bible. This is the show where we look at world religious trends in the light of Bible prophecy. I'm Pastor Gary, a minister to the Brighton Seventh-day Adventist Church in the beautiful city of Adelaide. It's really wonderful to be able to share with you once again. This week we're taking as our theme, You Are Not a Robot. Uh, And today uh, we ask, what did the apostles uh, teach about Sabbath? Uh, Today our co-host is Pastor David Butcher. And David's the president of the Seventh-day Adventist Church here in South Australia. Welcome aboard, David. Good afternoon, listeners. Good afternoon, Gary. It's uh, I don't know where people are listening from, but it's an incredible, beautiful day here, isn't it? I tell you what, from what I hear of the, the rain up on the East Coast, uh, I'm I'm once again very very pleased that I'm sitting here uh, in Adelaide. So if you're up there in in uh, dreary weather, hopefully you will be lifted by this program this afternoon. Ah, uh, be wonderful, uh, David. Happy birthday. Oh, it's Sunday, Gary. It's Sunday. It's not quite there just yet, but we won't be on air on Sunday. So I sort of thought, hey, I just get into that now. I understand this is a really big birthday for you. It is. Um, it'll be 50. And last night I said to my wife, uh, just before we turned the light out in bed, I said, we're 101 between us. Old age is actually creeping on to you, David. Well, you've got grey hair and I've got grey hair. So how about that? Well, tell me, David, how are you going to celebrate uh, your birthday on Sunday? Yeah, look, we've got a family going away, going out for tea Thursday night this week, so tomorrow night, and then um, spending some yeah time with family and uh, over the weekend. But yeah, for me, it's just another day. Hey, really? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I tell you, those big uh, birthdays that have got an O on the end, I always worry about those just a little bit. You know, I've, I've got to admit though, I do wish that I was just going to the five O uh, birthday. That would be a wonderful thing. Well, you, you do sense your mortality, don't you? Um, uh, the older I've gotten, your sense, and then as a minister, you're dealing with death often and sickness, and you do um, you realise that uh, we're fragile. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Folks, if you if, if if there's anybody who would like to send happy birthday greetings to David, why not text the greetings to David here at our studio? That number is 04888-80811. Uh, if you just want to say happy birthday, David, it's great to have you on air. Uh, we appreciate what you're doing. Uh, we'd, uh, we'd love to actually hear from you. That number is 04888 and uh, and we might share just a few of those greetings uh, with uh, uh, with our with our listeners. Hopefully, someone sends a message. Then, Gary. <laughs> hopefully, somebody <laughs> does. I, I, I'm sure there's somebody out there that might uh, might do that. But look, while we're waiting for those messages, let's uh, let's come to our World Watch segment. Uh, David, I came uh, I, I, a week or so ago. I uh, I stumbled across this particular article in the Guardian uh, newspaper, and it actually quite surprised me. Because we've been following here in uh, uh, the studio the uh, the legislation that's been passed in uh, in Victoria concerning gay uh, conversion practices, and uh, uh, this was an article that was in the Guardian uh, concerning an action that the Presbyterian Church moderator took, and uh, this is what the article said. Uh, 
Presbyterian Church head says a Victorian ban on gay conversion practices should be ignored. Now, uh, this this really jumped out at me. It certainly picked up some uh, some interest in the in the media. And uh, the article said this: the head of the Presbyterian Church in Australia says its pastors uh, will not be directed to obey the uh, Victorian government's new law banning gay conversion practices, calling the bill a declaration of war on scripture in an interview with Guardian Australia on Thursday the moderator general of the Presbyterian Church in Australia Reverend Peter Barnes uh, called the bill uh, which passed the victorious parliament uh, earlier this month it was actually last month now authoritarian and said the church would ignore it on the basis that church leaders don't get our instructions from parliament house uh, civil authorities have have a God-given right to govern. I'm not questioning that, uh, he said, uh, but its authority is not open-ended. If the government passes legislation I don't, that I don't think is wise, that's one thing, but it, and it's not going to please all people all the time. I think if I think they should lower taxes but they raise them, I'll still pay my taxes. But there are limits, and this legislation puts itself in the very, very obviously against Scripture. It was a declaration of war against Scripture. The bill which passed the Parliament on Friday outlaws practices that seek to change or suppress a person's sexual orientation or gender identity. Penalties for those found to have engaged in conversion practices resulting in serious injury face penalties of up to 10 years jail or $10,000 in fines. The bill also empowers the Victorian Equal Opportunity and Human Rights Commission to investigate reports of suspected conversion practices. The bill uh, goes further than the one passed in Queensland last year in that it prohibits harmful practices not only in healthcare settings but also in religious settings. This includes carrying out religious practice included but not limited to a prayer-based service, a deliverance practice or an exorcism. Barnes published a statement on the church's website uh, earlier, well, last month, entitled, Where To From Here? After the bill had been passed. In it, he wrote that the church was obliged to preach, uh, was obliged before God to preach all that he has revealed to us, whether law or gospel, and to do so in a spirit of love and truth. There's nothing unique about such legislation, he said. When King Darius exceeded his God-given authority, Daniel did as he had done previously, he wrote. Asked by The Guardian on Thursday whether that meant he was advocating in favour of ignoring legislation, he said, I'm saying that and a lot of people feel exactly the same way. The official policy of the church is to preach the whole counsel of God. And I was just saying, that is what I've signed up for. During the debate around the bill, religious groups distanced themselves from older practices, including electric shock therapy and aversion therapy, which I don't think anybody actually practices these days. Uh, And Barnes said he had never heard of that happening. But he said, if someone comes to me, and asked me to pray for them or to help them, he would not turn them away. 
Now, I think this this article, I when I read this, I sort of thought, hey, this is a real real statement uh, on this legislation that's certainly been passed in uh, in Victoria. Now, David, we've talked about this particular issue again before, so I don't want to go into it again. But I'm really interested here, in particular, this issue of where do governments actually have have authority? You know, here we've got you know the head of a uh, of a significant uh, religious organisation saying, hey, look, that particular uh, legislation needs to be ignored. Now, as I understand it, in Romans, uh, Paul actually calls for Christians to be subject to the governing authorities. Now, how would you how would you deal with this? I mean, in that particular perspective, I don't want to move into the the bigger issue, which we've already talked about. So it is a hot potato. Yeah, isn't it, it is a hot potato. <laughs> yeah. yeah, look, certainly Romans thirteen. Um, Paul, as he's drawing near the end of his letter there to the to the Romans, he says, "Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities." For the, then he says, "For there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that are exist are appointed by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God, and those who resist will be bring judgment upon themselves." He basically is saying that um, God has uh, set governments up. He, you know, or, or these are the institutions that have been put in place. Yeah, and we know yeah. from the book of Daniel that it is God that um, gave uh, Jerusalem into the hands of Nebuchadnezzar. Mm-hmm. It was God that um, uh, foretold that kingdoms would uh, rise and fall. Uh, and it was God, I think, in the book of Jeremiah that um, predicted that uh the Jews would go into captivity in Babylon for 70 years. And he says to, to marry and plant vineyards and, and to live uh, while you're in a, a government that is not under, uh, doesn't follow the, you know, the, the biblical principles. Mm. They have their mm. own worship. Mm. So the practice and, and what we should work to as Christians is to have a, uh, a practice of love and acceptance and to work and honor authorities. I mean, mm-hmm. Jesus said this, um, you know, to give to Caesar what's Caesar and to God what's God's. So, yeah, when it comes to raising and lowering taxes, as um, as the Presbyterian head of the church said, I mean, we may not agree with it, but we honor it. Yeah. And so we should seek to honor earthly authorities wherever we can. Okay, okay. Are there limits to the authority of earthly governments. There are. And and we in Daniel, I'll go back to Daniel, you've got Daniel chapter two, this this dream that the king had of, of this image which represented different world powers. Yeah. God clearly was predicting the rise and falls of nations. Yeah. So nothing happens without God knowing. But ultimately God is uh, things are coming to a close. Mm-hmm. And when governments directly conflict with the word of God, so seek to make peace wherever we can and, and we should be obedient and model citizens. Yeah. But if governments directly uh, go against the word of God and try and force that, uh, this is probably more the point, force that upon Christians. Yeah. Then just like the apostles uh, in Acts chapter 5 and verse 29, the, Peter and John are brought before the religious leaders and others and they say we must obey God rather than man. Okay. Okay. And I think, I think the example that you used of uh, Daniel, of course, the law went out. This is the old story of Daniel being thrown in the lion's Daniel den. Six. And uh, the reason that he was thrown in the lion's den was because the law had actually said, you're not allowed to pray. And what Daniel said was, sorry. That is something that uh, you have no authority over. And he actually went and prayed. And as a result, 
the consequence of the law came upon him, uh, but he was one who recognised both the authority and the limits of the authority of earthly governments. And he honoured the earthly government authority where he could. I mean, we find in that story in Daniel chapter 6 that it, it's the other uh, key leaders and advisors that are against Daniel, and it says they can't, couldn't find any fault with him except for mm. the law of his God. Mm. And so Daniel was a model citizen. Yeah. Yeah. But when it contravened the law of God to worship a human being, even though it's the king, yeah. as opposed to the God of heaven, no. Yeah. And yeah. so we are entering a phase, and this is a repeat of history, what yeah. we're seeing, of yeah. different situations where earthly governments said the Bible, you couldn't read the Bible, you shouldn't have a Bible, you, it's, you, know, you could be uh, upon threat of death. Yeah. Now, different scenario perhaps, but what earthly governments, when they contravene the law of God, and they're trying to enforce that on on Christians, on believers, then we need to make a stand. Okay, okay. And and I would really actually congratulate the uh, the Presbyterian, the head of, head of the church there for his statement, because I think it's incredibly valid for the times in which we are actually uh, actually living. But look, let's come to some some music. This is Kathleen uh, Canelli, uh, Micah uh, six eight uh, love uh, this particular song. For he has shown thee, O man, what is good and his right plan, what the Lord does require, let this be our desire, to do justly.
Kathleen Carnilli, Micah 6 8. That is one of the most beautiful passages in the Old Testament. Love Micah 6 8. Such a message of encouragement uh, in, uh, in that passage. Uh, we've got a free gift uh, for you uh, today, this week. Uh, we're dealing with this subject, You Are Not a Robot. Uh, and of course, uh, we're trying to uh, present to you the, uh, the biblical Sabbath. Now, I know that there are many people who've got questions uh, on this particular subject. If you would like uh, our free gift today, the gift is entitled a God's Gift in Time. You'll love uh, this uh, little booklet. Uh, it tells you uh, all there is to know. Uh, about the Sabbath. It talks about the change of the Sabbath. Uh, it talks about how the Sabbath came about. It talks about how, how you can be blessed, uh, by, by keeping a Sabbath. God's gift in time. If you would like, uh, the book God's gift in time, just text, uh, that, that phrase, God's gift, uh, in time and, uh, uh, send us your, your name, uh, your address and your telephone number and just text that to our studio, uh, text service here. And that number again is 04888. 80811. That's 04888 80811. And we'll send you the book God's Gift in Time. You'll love it. Uh, this really does answer so many questions. 04888 80811. Uh, you're listening to Faith FM Drive Time. Big Q&A uh, with Pastor Gary. Uh, today our co-host is Pastor David Butcher. And David's the president of the Seventh-day Adventist Church here in South Oz. Uh, this week, we're taking as our theme, You Are Not a Robot. And today we ask, what did the apostles teach about the Sabbath? It was just a little while ago that I uh, uh, I came across an article. It was actually talking about employee burnout. Uh, this is what the article said. Uh, companies are facing an increasing epidemic of employee burnout. Companies are facing an employee burnout crisis. A recent Gallup study of nearly 7,500 full-time employees found that 23% of employees reported feeling burned out at work very often or always, while an additional 44% reported feeling burned out sometimes. David, have you ever felt burnt out? Absolutely. We live in a, in a hustle-bustle sort of world, don't we, where connected more than ever before people expect responses in the next you know as you click your fingers yeah yeah and there is a we become slaves of work okay okay and that's actually and certainly the demands of the work environment are certainly going going higher and higher i know that my my wife is in the in a teaching profession and certainly uh in in 30 years of teaching we can see the huge difference in the demands on a teacher between 30 years ago and and today um the demands on our teaching on our nursing staff mm, on, on, particularly the people helping professions the uh, 
article went on to say the meltdown accounts for an estimated 125 billion to 190 billion this is american of course uh in healthcare spending each year in 2017 uh one study uh talking about the risks relating to job burnt out, uh, listed things like type 2 diabetes, coronary heart disease, gastrointestinal issues, high cholesterol and even death for those under the age of 45. First coined in the 1970s by American uh, psychologist Herbert uh, Frunberger, burnout refers to stress and exhaustion felt by those in the helping professions like doctors and nurses, making it tough for them to cope and while it may still be true decades later according to the lifestyle survey uh, the rate of physician burnout has actually climbed precipitously to 46 percent in just a uh, just a few years burnout can affect anyone no matter what their job. Now, the article actually concludes by talking about some basic health rules to manage workplace stress. And uh, uh, to me, I, I noticed this one, except the fact that you can't control everything. I think that's certainly something we would all accept. Exercise daily. And can I encourage our listeners, this is something that I find an incredible blessing in, uh, just spending some time each day. I try to uh, get walk for about an hour each, uh, each day. And this makes a huge difference uh, to Take slow, deep breaths throughout the day. Take short breaks throughout the day and help restore clarity and focus. You know, these are all excellent suggestions and I'd certainly encourage people to adopt all of them. But, you know, to me, as I read the article, I sort of thought, hey, there's actually one missing in this list. I mean, what we've got is a is a heavenly creator. We've actually got a God who's given us a thing called the Sabbath. He said, guys, you're actually not a robot. I don't want you to work 24-7. I want you to take a day off every single week. I want you to have a day for relationship. I want you to have a day for, uh, for, for, for relationship with me and relationship with, with each other. And yet, you know, I'm, I'm so conscious, David, that even in the Christian world today, I, I, I keep, uh, people throw at me almost, um, a response that says, Hey, uh, the Sabbath is a very works-based, uh, orientate, orientation. It's something that we, don't need to follow as as Christians, but you know, to me, both biblically and in practice, I say, hey, I need this day called a Sabbath. And if it was ever more needed than it is today, I don't know when. Um, uh, now deceased Jewish theologian Abraham Heschel, mm. he said something like this uh, in regard to the Sabbath. He said that, um, you know, we become slaves of our work and he said essentially that we should rest when it comes to the Sabbath, sunset Friday night through to sunset Saturday night. We should rest as if our work is done even though it's not. And, you know, um, the cycle doesn't stop, does it? Like the work cycle. And yet here we are as human beings needing a reset, needing a pause, needing a refresh. And God is saying, I just want you to stop. Rest in me. I can complete everything. Trust me. You don't have to get everything done. You need to stop. 
I think this is such a beautiful picture of our God, isn't it? You know, because so often we hear of, you know, the God, I've heard people describe to me the horrible God of the Old Testament. But as I look at the God of the Old Testament, here is a God who turns around and says, hey, look, I want you to have time off. I want you to have a day off. In fact, if you go into the Jewish uh, Jewish law, you see that not only did he want a Sabbath off, but he actually throughout the year, he, there were times when he said, take a week off. Um, and then, of course, every seventh year, there was a there was a period. I want you to take the whole year off. You know, this is a God who's legislating holidays. You know, yeah. I think this is so special. God is saying you need a break from your work. You need to get off that um, that that wheel that the mice run around on. Yeah, the yeah. merry-go-round of life. You need to pause. You need to stop. You need to reflect. You're not a slave to your work. You have a purpose. You have an origin. You reflect back on that purpose and origin, which yeah. is rooted in creation. And it's uh, a Sabbath day. Oh, that's powerful. That's powerful. But look, David. Look, let's come to uh, our Bible study for uh, for today because we really want to look at this uh, subject. Our, our theme for the week is "You are not a robot." And today we're asking, what did the apostles teach? About Sabbath, because many many Christians have certainly said to me, "Hey, this is an Old Testament day, but it's not a not uh, applicable to those of us who are living in New Testament times." David, how would you respond to that? Yeah, and and that is something you hear relatively frequently, don't you? Uh, first of all, and I know this has been a theme we've been looking at this week, but uh, and this was covered yesterday, but in Luke four sixteen. We discover that in the New Testament, Jesus followed the teachings of the Old Testament, and he's a God who doesn't change. Mm. You know, he's the same mm. yesterday, today, and forever. In Luke four sixteen, it says, So he, that's Jesus, came to Nazareth where he had been brought up, and as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. So Jesus kept the seventh-day Sabbath. Mm. Now, let's not forget, this is not the Jewish Sabbath. Because in Mark 2.20, well, the Jews did keep the Sabbath, but it it is not a day for the Jews. Mark 2.27 and 28, this was covered yesterday, that Jesus says the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Therefore, the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. So Jesus is saying, I'm in charge of the Sabbath. I'm the gift giver of the Sabbath. It's not for Jews. It's for all of humanity. Very good. So Jesus practiced uh, this teaching that that uh, was uh, right throughout the Old Testament. It's also interesting that before Jesus died, in Matthew chapter twenty-four, this this chapter where we get you know things that are going to happen before the end of the world, and also the destruction of Jerusalem, Jesus is instructing his disciples, giving them a prophecy, foretelling the future, and he says to them, and and this is to the Christians, the Jewish Christians, and pray that your flight may not be on in winter or on the Sabbath. So. Explain, explain to us why that's important, because that's really key, actually, David. Well, we know that Jerusalem was destroyed in 70 AD by mm-hmm. um, General Titus, and you mm-hmm. can go to the Colosseum in Rome, and just outside the Colosseum, I've been there, you've got the Arch of Titus, where you David. see in that arch um, engravings, if you like, or reliefs uh, up in the arch of uh, the Ark of the Covenant and, and candlesticks and all that being carried away. The city was destroyed, not one stone left upon another, as Jesus said. But here we have, before Jesus's death, about 35 to 38 years before the destruction of Jerusalem, we have Jesus warning his followers to take heed because the city would be destroyed and to avoid the destruction by fleeing. And so we know that uh, the Christians did heed Jesus' advice in AD 66 when um, they fled, when the Roman armies that had besieged the city left. 
but Jesus was Jesus plea to them was please pray that your flight is not in winter or on the Sabbath. S- Sabbath day. So Jesus is saying, and thank you for bringing me back, Gary, Jesus is really saying here that even after my death, 35, 38 years later, the Sabbath is still a significant thing. Yeah. It's not done yeah. away with. Yeah, yeah. He yeah. doesn't say, please pray that your flight won't be on the first day of the week. It won't be on, pray that it won't be on Sunday. Mm, mm. So in other words, he's expecting that believers will still be still be a preaching, teaching, and still be worshipping on the Sabbath day uh, in 70 AD. That's exactly right. And it's interesting that uh, the majority of the New Testament books were written before that time. Indeed, indeed. And we'll, th- that'll have significance yeah. as we go forward. But David, look, can we go to the book of Acts? Because I'm conscious that in the book of Acts, we've actually got, of course, the it's a history book. It tells us the history of the, uh, of the early Christian church. And there are so many examples in that particular book where the Sabbath is actually mentioned. Help, just help with, with your permission, can I just first of all stop at the, at the crucifixion? Please don't, please don't. Oh, you're in charge here, Gary. This is your show, so with your permission. So in Luke 23, and it's interesting, Gary, and this does tie in with, with Acts, Luke is the only Gentile or non-Jewish author in the New Testament. And Luke says so much about the Sabbath in, in, the, in the Gospel of Luke and in his second book, Acts. But in Luke 23, we have the story of the crucifixion and the burial of Jesus. Mm. And we know it happens on a Friday. Luke 23, uh, in verse um, 53, they took down his body. They laid it in a tomb. Joseph of Arimathea had, had this tomb. And it says that day was the pre- preparation day and the Sabbath drew near. This is Friday night. Friday was the preparation for the Sabbath. And Sabbath evening, Friday night, was the start of the Sabbath. Mm -hmm. So Friday, Jesus is crucified. Good Friday. Uh, He dies. Uh, Joseph of Arimathea goes to get the body of Jesus. He sees Pilate. Pilate grants him that. The Sabbath is drawing near. Sunset Friday night is coming. It says the Sabbath drew near. Verse 55, And the women who had come with him from Galilee followed after, and they observed the tomb and how his body was laid. Then they returned and prepared spices and fragrant oils, and they rested on the Sabbath according to the commandment. So here we have a a group of ladies who were part of that inner group Uh of Jesus' followers. Uh So even after the crucifixion, immediately after, the Sabbath doesn't change. These women, these innermost followers, keep to the Sabbath. Now, if Jesus had have wanted the Sabbath to change, surely those first group of disciples and the ladies and those with them would have known about it. That would be the logical time to have Absolutely. made the change, wouldn't it? Yep. And it says they rested on the Sabbath according to the commandment. Then, on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they and certain other women with them came to the tomb bringing spices which they'd prepared, but they found the stone rolled away. So Jesus honoured the Sabbath in his death. Mm-hmm. Died on Friday rested on Sabbath, rose on Sunday morning. He honoured the Sabbath. His followers post the cross. Mm-hmm. Now, this is where Sabbath. we come to the book of Acts. And this is where we come to the book of Acts. And this is so important, actually. This, Because to me, I actually get excited. I, I love studying. In fact, I call the book of Acts the gospel of Acts because to me, there's so much good news uh, in this particular book. Absolutely. It's powerful. So let's jump to Acts. Yeah, so, yeah, sorry, Gary. Don't. Thanks for your patience. You'd make a there. good politician, David. Uh, we, we ask a question, you answer your own question. Politicians do that all the time. <laughs> I pre- appreciate what you're saying well, there, let's David. Not, let's not go there any further. <laughs> hey, so book of Acts. Um, Acts chapter 4, verses 23 and 20. 
24. This is interesting. Uh, Peter and John have been arrested. Mm. Uh, they've been released. And when they come to their fellow believers in a house there, it's interesting. In Acts 4, 23 and 24, they utter up a prayer. And this is what they say. And being let go, they went to their own companions and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. So when they heard that, they raised their voice to God with one accord. This is a prayer. And said, Lord, you are God who made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them. Mm-hmm. Now, that very prayer uh, quoted here by Luke is a reference to the fourth commandment. Okay. Uh, okay. You know, in six days, yes. God made yep. the heaven, yep. the earth and the sea and everything in them. So here they are, the early Christian church, and they are reflecting on the fourth commandment and praising mm-hmm. God because he's the creator. Mm-hmm. We then jump to, um, we then jump to Acts chapter 13. And in Acts chapter 13, verses 13 to 17, we find that um, uh, Paul uh, comes to Antioch. And in this, this is where they're first called Christians, which yep, is interesting, yep, yep, isn't it? Yep. And it says uh, in verse 14, but when they departed, Acts 13, verse 14, but when they departed from Perga, they came to Antioch in Pisidia and went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and sat down. So here we have this um, picture of uh, Paul, who was known as the Apostle to who? The Gentiles. Apostle to the Gentiles. Yep. And we find him in a synagogue, a, a Jewish church, if you like, on which day? The on Sabbath on the day. Sabbath day. And he sits down. And after the reading of the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent to him saying, you know, have you got something to say to us? So Paul then gets up and he's preaching to the Jews. He gets up and he begins to preach. And uh, later on in that uh, chapter, verses 26 and 27, he says, Men and brethren, sons of the family of Abraham, this is part of his sermon, and those among you who fear God, to you the word of this salvation has been sent. For those who dwell in Jerusalem and their rulers, because they did not know him, that's Jesus, nor even the voices of the prophets which are read every Sabbath, have fulfilled them in condemning Jesus. Mm-hmm. Paul is preaching a sermon here in Acts 13 that Jesus is the long-awaited Jewish Messiah. He's the Christ. Powerful. That's what he's preaching. Yep. And he makes reference that this has been preached and read every, or you've heard the voices of the prophets every Sabbath as it's been read to you. Yeah. He doesn't make any condemnation of the Sabbath. Instead, what he's preaching here in Acts 13 is that Jesus is the Messiah. That's the contentious point. Yeah. We get to verse 42, Gary, of Acts 13. So when the Jews went out of the synagogue, so sermon's finished, mm-hmm. and I think Paul would have preached long, don't yes, you? Yes, I'm sure. <laughs> and would have been quite powerful. But uh, So when the Jews went out of the synagogue, the Gentiles, this is the non-Jews, mm-hmm. the Gentiles begged that these words might be preached to them the next Sabbath. Now that really jumps out, doesn't it? It does, because if Paul the apostle to the Gentiles, the non-Jews. If Paul had an issue with the Sabbath, and we've got to remember Paul was the most prolific New Testament writer. If Paul had an issue with the Sabbath, then surely he would have said that to the Jews in the synagogue on the Sabbath, but he doesn't. He's preaching Christ. If Paul had an issue with the Sabbath, then surely when the Gentiles, the non-Jews, said to him, hey, can you preach that to us next Sabbath? He would have said, no, we don't worship on Sabbath. We worship on Sunday and on of the resurrection. But rather they are asking that the word be preached to them on Sabbath, on the, the Gentile Sabbath. people, the Gentiles. and Paul 
is more than happy to actually do exactly that. And the reason why he's more than happy to do it is because it's the command of God. Exactly. And because the Sabbath reminds us that God is not only our creator... Well, I think why I think this is important, David, is because what we've got here is an example of New Testament practice. You know, it's you know there are we can look at the theory sometimes, but what we have in the Book of Acts there are a number of examples of the practice of these early uh, um, Christian disciples, the apostles, and what they actually did. Um, is there another example there, David? I think there was a Riverside one because this is one where the synagogue's not even involved. Okay, so I just want to we want to finish chapter 13. Can I do that? Please do. Sorry, mate, you'll have to slap me around a bit. Okay, um, chapter 13, same story, verses 44 to 48. Now, we've got to remember that the Gentiles have said, hey, can we study further next Sabbath? Yeah. And it says in verse 44, on the next Sabbath, almost the whole city came together to hear the word of God. But when the Jews saw the multitudes, they were filled with envy and contradicting and blaspheming. They opposed the things spoken by Paul. So what we find here is... Paul honors the request of the Gentiles, and the very yeah. next Sabbath, the whole city almost comes out. So Paul was a Sabbath keeper. That's what he practiced, yeah. just like Jesus. It was yeah. his custom. In other words, the Sabbath is not done away with. Mm. In fact, nowhere in the book of Acts do you find the Sabbath done away with. The arguments for worshiping on the first day of the week or Sunday come from silence. Okay, okay. And and I think that that's something that many people do actually look uh, look at, you know, or why isn't uh, the uh, the um the sabbath actually mentioned and preached? Well, it's actually because it wasn't an issue in the New Testament days. It there was were a- issues over circumcision and over festivals and other sorts of things. There were issues over um uh, all of that sort of stuff, food offered to idols and immorality, but there was no issues over the Sabbath. It was just something that was kept. And a lot of people don't actually realise, and we're going to dig into this tomorrow, that the Sabbath was actually kept. There was a gradual transition, but it didn't actually finally transition until about the 3rd or 4th century, three or 400 years after Christ. And we're going to come to that tomorrow. We've got uh, Fabiano and, and Helen are going to be explaining that. Um, so so listeners, make sure you don't miss. Oh, you don't miss session. that one. Don't miss that one. So, Gary, you wanted me to go to the riverside. Acts Please 16. Do. Therefore, sailing from Troas, Acts sixteen verses eleven to thirteen. Sailing from Troas, we Paul. Oh, this is Luke. We ran a straight course to Samothrace, and the next day came to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is the foremost city of that part of Macedonia, a colony. And we were staying in that city for some days. And listen to verse thirteen. And on the Sabbath day. We went out of the city to the riverside where prayer was customarily made and we sat down and spoke to the women who met there. Yeah, yeah. And and to me, David, the reason that to me that is so beautiful is because sometimes I've had people say to me that, uh, you know, Christ, uh, um, Paul rather, is preaching in the synagogue. What day would you expect the synagogue to be open and of course the answer would be would be sabbath but here what we've got is a totally different situation because we have got uh, paul uh, is unable to find a, a synagogue uh, but what he does do is he knows there's a place out on the riverside that uh, where prayer is customarily made and he goes to find that that place he goes to find other believers and he does that on the sabbath day so again what's paul's practice this is an observance 
of the seventh day of the week. Now, whatever else he says in other places, and we're going to come to one or two in a moment, mm. um, this has to be within the context that Paul was a person who observed the seventh day of the week, week by week by week. Now, just <clears throat> tell me something else there, David, because um, I, I just there's a very beautiful thing about this. Paul was worshipping by the riverside. Uh, I love that particular description. I don't know about you, but there's been so many Sabbaths that I've been able to. Sometimes I go to churches, but, you know, there are some other occasions when I like to go out into nature and worship God out in nature. How have you found it, David? How do you, I'm thinking here of, I'm thinking of how Paul celebrated here because he wasn't in a church environment. He was out in a bush environment. Uh, he had gone, he'd gone bush for the day. He, he'd gone bush, hadn't he? But yeah. he's still worshipping God because prayer is customly, customarily made here. So yes, going bush, if you want to call it that, uh, going out into nature is one of the wonderful gifts of the Sabbath. Um, when our children and young people get in touch with the na- with nature, and you see the incredible wonders of nature, you realise that God's hand, there is a designer at work. Yeah. It reminds us that God is an incredible God of beauty and colour and all sorts of weird and yeah. wacky animals. God has this incredible mind, and each animal is different, and, and trees and plants are different. So God has put us in this incredible world, even though we're touched by sin. Yeah. And the Sabbath reminds us of a creator God. Yeah. I actually encourage, from time to time, I actually encourage my uh, my, my church members, I say, look, guys, you don't need to come to church every week. There's some Sabbaths. I just love you to be able to pack up your family and maybe two or three families if you'd like to do that. But go out and worship out in a in a bush setting. And, you know, to me, David, I find this one of the most beautiful things that you can possibly have, to be able to spend time with each other in fellowship, in prayer, uh, with, uh, uh, with fellow believers uh, in a bush setting, really brings you incredibly close to God, doesn't it? And there's a real blessing in that, isn't it, to, yeah. to really be in touch. And, and if you want to take the stress out of your life, if you want to unwind... Is there any better way than doing that? Absolutely not. Yeah, yeah. Gary, I want to get through one or two yeah, more yeah, yeah, texts please, in, please, in, David, in please. Acts. This is your favourite book, right? So let's move forward to Acts 17. And we just see this continual pattern of Paul. Acts 17 verses 1 to 4. They came to Thessalonica where there was a synagogue of the Jews. Then Paul, as his custom was, went into them and for three Sabbaths reasoned with them from the Scriptures explaining and demonstrating that the Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead. Now, it's interesting here. Again, Paul's custom to go to worship on the Sabbath. He goes to the synagogue, uh, and while he's there, he's not saying, hey, you're worshipping on the wrong day of the week. Mm. And if Jesus had changed it, then surely Paul would have been preaching that message. Yeah. He wasn't scared of upsetting the Jews. Yeah. So yeah. surely if the day had changed, he would have poked them with a stick in the eye. That was Paul's personality. That was his personality. But instead, what did he preach? It says here he expl- he was explaining and demonstrating that the Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead. Now, we read the word Christ, it's the Messiah. Mm. They were waiting for a Messiah. So again, the Sabbath is not in question. He's preaching that Jesus is the Christ. Mm. Beautiful. Um, we know in one of these passages, and Gary, I don't have it in front of me in uh, in Acts, that he stays there for a year and a half in one of these cities. Yeah. And so as his custom was, I think it's about 78 Sabbaths a year and a half. Yeah. What was Paul's thing? Worshipping on the Sabbath. That's what he did. That's what he did. 
Yeah. And you, you find in Acts 18, 1 to 4, this will be the last one I mention. In Acts 18, 1 to 4, for Paul leaves Athens, goes to Corinth, he comes across Aquila and Priscilla, fellow uh, uh, tent makers, same profession, if you like, same trade, and he stays with them. And it says, he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and persuaded both Jews and Greeks. Mm-hmm. What's he persuading them about? That Jesus is the Christ. Yeah. Not the change of any day of worship. He's, he's simply joining them in, in worship. And this is something that the Gentiles have followed on with that same practice. Absolutely. He wasn't teaching them to worship any other day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, tell me, David, can we go to uh, – I'm conscious that our time is starting to run away from us. On uh, There are a couple of passages of Scripture where, uh, where Paul appears to be saying, hey, look, don't worry about – the Sabbath day. Now, I know in the book of Romans, can you share that with us? Yeah, Romans 14.5. And uh, it's interesting that um, uh, this is what it says here. It says, one person esteems one day above another and another esteems every day alike. Let each be fully convinced in his own mind. He who observes the day observes it to the Lord. And he who does not observe the day to the Lord, he does not observe it. He who eats, eats to the Lord. And he who gives thanks, and he who does not eat, to the Lord, he does not eat and gives thanks. Uh, gives God thanks. So here we have this passage where Paul seems to be saying that one person thinks one day holds it higher than another, and this one holds that day higher than another. He says, "Look, let you be convinced in your own minds." Then he talks about eating and drinking. Now it's interesting that the seventh day Sabbath is never um, uh, is never associated as as requirements to eat and drink. Now, of course, you do that, right? But It's also interesting, we need to read the context. When we begin chapter 14, uh, it says in verse 1, Receive one who is weak in the faith, but not to disputes over doubtful things. Mm -hmm. Now, if this argument in verse 5 and 6, one person esteems one day above another, another esteems every day alike. In other words, it doesn't matter what day you worship on. That's what some people use this text for. If Paul begins verse 1 by saying, you know, let's not have any disputes over doubtful things. Mm-hmm. Now, is the Sabbath a doubtful thing in Scripture? Not in Scripture. Really clear. Yeah, I mean, Paul's yeah. made that clear all the way through yeah, Acts. Yeah. So whatever is happening in Romans 14, it's about doubtful things because he then says in verse 2, For one believes he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats only vegetables. Let him who eats despise him. Uh, let him let not him who eats despise him who does not eat. And let not him who does not eat judge him who eats, for God has received him. So... This is clearly not dealing with the Seventh-day Sabbath. There's talk about food and drink. Mm-hmm. Now, this is dealing with the ceremonial uh, feast days that were often called Sabbaths. Sabbaths. And these are found in Le- uh, Leviticus 23. And this is what a lot of people actually don't realize, that uh, there are actually other days that are also called Sabbaths in the Old Testament. And these are the traditional feast days that come around on an ir- well, a regular basis, but not a weekly basis. And to me, as I, as I see that, uh, this is a, a distinction that uh, certainly in the, in the environment that we currently live, w- most Christians are actually not aware of those other Sabbath days. Yeah, because often they would fall, like, you know, the, um, Tenth day of the seventh month, for instance, mm-hmm. uh, that was a day when the day of atonement was to be um, to be celebrated, right? Yeah, yeah. But that would fall, you presumably every seventh year on a seventh day, the actual seventh day Sabbath. Mm. 
and that made it a high Sabbath, if you like. Yeah. But the festival itself was um, not really about the Sabbath. It was about the the laws that God had given to Moses pointing forward to Jesus' uh, life and death and resurrection, not in regards to the and Sabbath. And this is where it's so important for us to understand what Paul's, uh, Paul and the New Testament church's practice was in the New Testament days themselves because if in fact they're teaching one thing and doing something else there's a huge uh, um, dichotomy at that particular point in time Um, I I think of another passage here that is sometimes thrown um, at uh, uh, at me, certainly, uh, uh, individuals have shared, uh, shared this with me. Of course, this is Colossians 2, uh, 16. Let no one judge you in food or in drink or regarding a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath, which are a shadow of things to come, but the substance is of Christ. Now, this is, this is one of those passages that is constantly referred, uh, to when this particular subject is discussed. And of course, I think it, it's very similar to the point that you previously made. In this particular passage here, uh, we have uh, got uh, the text saying, these are a shadow of things to come. Now, That's key, isn't it? That's, that's really key in this particular passage because uh, what we have is the Sabbath, of course, is not a shadow of things to come. It's actually a memorial of creation. Of creation. Prior to sin. Prior to sin. But the feast days were in fact a shadow of things to come. And they were instituted after sin. And they were instituted after sin and they are called a Sabbath day. So the question that you actually have to ask when we're dealing with uh, this uh, passage in Colossians is what Sabbath days are actually being referred to? Is it the Sabbath days that is connected to creation or is it the other Sabbath days that are actually connected to the feast days? And uh, Paul actually makes it very clear which are a shadow of things to come. He's defining which type of Sabbath they actually are. So these uh, Sabbaths, these feast days, if you like, that were called Sabbaths, whether they fell on the seventh-day Sabbath or not, right, they had their fulfillment in Christ because they were dealing with, uh, like, you know, Passover. What's that dealing with? Yeah. Uh, the Lamb of God, uh, Jesus. You know, this blood that was put on the doorposts there in Egypt uh, as they were about to flee showed that um, it had to be a perfect lamb without blemish. This mm-hmm. represented Jesus. He was perfect. His blood was shed. That covered them. It was put over the doorposts. It covered them. Jesus' blood covers our sins. Wow. So that had its fulfillment uh, at the cross. Okay. As with these other feast days. Now, these were things that were in contention in the early Christian church because you had Jews that came into Christianity and they still wanted to keep these feasts. So the feasts were actually in contention, but the Sabbath wasn't. Well, we've seen through the book of Acts, Paul is, an, Paul is this great proponent for truth and mm. the, the, really the, one of the key players of the New Testament church. Never is he denigrating the Seventh-day Sabbath. And, of course, on one particular occasion, uh, Peter, uh, he saw Peter as doing the wrong thing. And, of course, you know, he says very clearly, I actually, I, I challenged Peter. I stood him to his face, he says. Because what he had done, he said, was wrong. Paul was not the sort of retired character that uh, that didn't speak up if he felt that there's something uh, wrong was actually he's occurring. not backward in coming forward he's not backward. so 
This text in Colossians 2, 16 and 17, same as Romans 14, 5 and 6, is dealing with, again, we've got mention of uh, feasts and new moons and Sabbaths. Never is a seventh-day Sabbath, uh, the weekly seventh-day Sabbath, connected with the feasts, the new moons and the Sabbaths. It's talking about those festivals Mm -hmm. uh, and those feast days. Okay. Okay. So what we have in contention in Colossians is a whole range of things. Jesus is being denigrated. If you look at chapter one, they're worshiping or considering to worship principalities and powers. Yeah. Uh, and Paul is setting them straight on a range of things, including these feast days, but not okay. the seventh day. Sabbath. Okay. Okay. Uh, David, have you got? I'm conscious our time is starting to run away from us. Um, do you got just one more thing you'd like to share, and uh, then I've got just one other question for you. Or would you like me to come? straight to that question. Just one one thing I'll share, Gary. Just one thing. Yeah. Just one thing. It'll be quick. A preacher has always got one more thing to share. One more thing, and then you've got to sit down. Isaiah 66, uh, the gospel prophet of the Old Testament, God through Isaiah in chapter 66, verse 22 and 23, for as the new heavens and the new earth which I will make shall remain before me, says the Lord, so shall your descendants and your name remain, and it shall come to pass that from one new moon to another and from one Sabbath to another all flesh shall come to worship before me, says the Lord. Mm. So this is telling us that in eternity the seventh-day Sabbath will still be something to, to honour. Yeah, yeah, and, and that is something that I am really looking forward to being able to celebrate Sabbath with Christ in the New Jerusalem. I think that's a very incredibly the of the beautiful, Sabbath. the maker of the Sabbath with Adam, with the uh, with the heroes of faith. And to me, that is something that I, I look forward to. I say, hey, what a what a day that's actually going to be. But David, look, let's just come to just just one final thing as we do finish, uh, and that's um, a, a real practical application. Now, look, you haven't always worked. In church employment, um, how do you? I mean, how did you find the? You know, the. I mean, we you worked in a twenty four seven type uh, type industry. Um, how do you keep a Sabbath in a twenty four seven world that we're actually living in now? Yeah, really good question. This is where the rubber hits the road, yeah, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah. So. For almost as long as I've been a minister, not quite, have I been in the business world in various settings, warehouse distribution management, um, in freight companies, in other clothing companies as a buyer, uh, probably one of the most significant companies in Australia, almost well, well recognized. And because I've grown up believing in the word of God and have been raised by my parents as such, I have, uh, when I've gone for jobs, I've said to my employers at interviews after, I remember one of them was a two hour interview. And, um, basically at the end of that, the managing director, he was Lutheran of this large, um, clothing company, well known Australian brand. He's, uh, he said, have you got any questions? And I said, yes. I said, look, I'm a seven day Adventist and I believe in the Bible Sabbath from Friday sunset to Saturday sunset. That's my holy day, day mm-hmm. of worship. Uh, is that an issue for you? If it is, I can work any other day. I'll make up time, but that's my day. Yep. And um, he paused. He was a faithful loser, and he said, no. He said, I'm happy with that. Mm-hmm. Interestingly enough, about three years later, he calls me into his office, and he says, David, I want to send you to Italy and Europe. When you go mm-hmm. for a couple of weeks, I want to send you to a convention, particularly in Bologna, in Italy. Mm-hmm. And he said, I remember you saying something about a Sabbath. Mm-hmm. What was all that? He said, because this falls across a Saturday. And I said to him, I said, yeah, that's right. You remembered rightly, correctly. (laughs) And I said, look, Friday night to Saturday night, that's the day where I stop. I pause, I reflect, I worship, Mm -hmm. I switch off. I said, if it's an issue for me, if you don't want me to go, uh, I said, look, that's what I honor. 
So if you're unhappy with that, you better send someone else. Mm-hmm. And he said, no, I'm happy for you to go. You can have your Sabbath off. So I went to Italy and England with uh, two other gentlemen, and uh, they weren't Christians. It would be pretty clear to say that, but they got the Sabbath off. So they went to the pub and um, uh, drunk all sorts of things and ate all sorts of things, and I found a church. Yeah, yeah. So... Yeah. In other words, we need to stand up for what we believe, which ties in with that um, that World Watch segment. We need to stand up for what we believe. We need to have faith and stand up for what the Bible says. God has honoured us. How can we honour God if we disobey what he's given us? Because it's for our good. Because God really does honour us when we do that, doesn't he? Absolutely, and he's blessed this day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and to me, that's certainly been my experience. Just continually, you find as you honour the Sabbath, God it does actually honour you as well. Um, I, I thank you so much for sharing that, David. Really do appreciate it. Let's bow our heads together in prayer. Father in heaven, Lord, we come to you right now. Lord, I want to say thank you for being the God of the Sabbath. Lord, thank you for being, for creating a Sabbath. Lord, how much we need this day. Lord, so often we don't recognize how much we need this day. Uh, Lord, I just just praise your name uh, for giving it to us and for the incredible blessing that it is. Thank you for the relationships that allows us to form with our family, uh, with, a, uh, with you, uh, time to be able to stop and be still and know that you are God. Uh, Lord, uh, I just just pray for each person that's listening right now. If there's anybody who's struggling in some way, I pray that you'd be with them. I pray that you might give them the desires of their heart. Lord, we ask and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, folks, it does look like our time's up for today. Thank you so much for joining Pastor Gary and Pastor David Butcher on Drive Time. Big Q&A. Please join us tomorrow. When Pastor Fabiano and Helen Gray spend the entire time looking at the question, Sabbath to Sunday, how did it happen? And does it matter anyway? Really look forward to seeing you. But until then, please remember, Christ said, I'm leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart. And the peace I give isn't like the peace that the world gives, so don't be troubled or afraid. May our God richly bless you.